Hi, everyone. Welcome to the March 12, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. A bipartisan group of Colorado legislative leaders joined Governor Polis this week in announcing the rollout of a $700 million state stimulus plan. A good portion of the funding will go to, quote, shovel-ready infrastructure improvements. The rest will be dispersed between things like small businesses, improvements in education, and support for rural communities. Patty Calhoun from Westward, it seems that the $700 million comes from being a bit too austere last year. So it's kind of like finding a $20 bill in your jacket the next winter. Uh, and it had bipartisan support. What did you think of the announcement and the plans of how to spend it? Well, I think the announcement was a big relief. First of all, that they cut $3 billion out. They thought things were going to be so bad that it was not quite as bad. But really, when you look over the last year, how much worse did we need it? 6,000 deaths. We just, while we were waiting to film, had the moment of silence in Denver for the people who passed away. Tomorrow is the first anniversary of the first COVID death in Colorado. So we're coming out of it. But we have to remember a lot of the things we're going to get, assuming legislate, the legislature passes this, and given how bipartisan it is, you're, you have to think it's going to be close. But a lot of these things were cut, cut out of the budget in the first place. It's good to see some some of them coming back, the broadband for the rural areas. Have we ever needed anything more than good broadband this year? That there, uh, Something that wasn't in the budget last year that was restaurants and that we've got relief for restaurants. An industry hit so hard. They're estimating in Colorado $3 billion in losses. So there's a little something for everyone in this, including transportation, roads, some bridge fixes that are very badly needed. So I assume it'll pass through. And, of course, we still have money coming from the feds, which just minutes before this announcement had passed, what, $1.9 Trillion? Yeah. Billion? Yeah. I'm, it's real money, whatever it is. <laughs> trillion here, trillion there. Some, at some point, it's uh, something like real money. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, bipartisan, actual bipartisan support of anything spending uh, in Colorado, really any state right now, is pretty rare. Uh, but it happened on this one. Is it because it wasn't terribly difficult to know how to spend $700 million, or is it a really solid bipartisan plan? Um, Maybe maybe some of each. Uh, the Republicans got a lot of help for rural areas, and the uh, Democratic leadership was willing to go along with that. So it, it could be done on a bipartisan basis. And obviously, as Patty said, there's a whole mud, lot more boodle coming to the state of Colorado uh, in this $1.9 uh, trillion dollar spending spree, only a fraction of which uh, actually relates to uh, to dealing with the virus, and a lot of which is, is bailouts to state governments, which the Colorado state government doesn't need. The reason we have this is because they've now got about a billion dollars more than they expected they would. And it's probably right for them to spend the money on stimulus. When you look at how bad the Colorado state government's doing great on money, but not the people of Colorado. We've got the fourth worst unemployment rate in the nation, worse only than Nevada and California, which are very tourism de- Nevada and Hawaii, which are tourism dependent, and California, which is a, has made itself into a long-term basket case uh, so that Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama can feel better about being better off than somebody. Uh, so and and now we've and we used to have the fourth best unemployment rate in the country. So, economy is very bad, and uh, stimulus hopefully will help. Eric Sonnerman, uh, columnist for Denver Gazette and Colorado Politics, joins us remotely. Eric, um, who do you give credit for the design of this plan? I mean, is it last year's uh, leaders? Is it everybody in the legislature? Is it Governor Polis? How do you give the credit? Oh, I think there's probably some to all of the above, Dominic. I think uh, Governor Polis had a 
significant hand in putting this together. It is impressive bipartisanship. That's the plus side of the ledger. The minus side of the ledger to me is the real lack of definition and lack of specifics in a lot of these categories of exactly where the money is going. The whole thing is obviously dwarfed. It's, it's, it's significant money by Colorado standards, don't get me wrong but it is dwarfed by the $1.9 trillion package, including a chunk of that coming to Colorado um, that the feds just passed. And just to get a sense of how big that number is, viewers might want to write it down. And you write it down by a one, a nine, and then 11 zeros. That is a huge amount of money on top of other stimuluses. And obviously with other Biden and Democratic spending plans now in the offing, and obviously, we're living in an era where no one pays attention to debt or deficits, and we believe that uh, interest rates are going to be low and money is essentially going to be free forever. And uh, that is a wonderful theory until it isn't. Chris LeCafer, columnist for the Denver Post, joins us remotely as well. Chris, it's great to have you on the program. When you look at the success of this bipartisan agreement, can that be a model for other bipartisan agreements in a legislature and executive office that is clearly simply just Democratic majority? You know, I would love to see more bipartisanship doing the right thing. And, you know, and some of this money is actually necessary, but let's consider that this is bandages for a self-inflicted wound. The state shut down the economy. They did not send kids to school. They paid people not to look for work. And now they're going to pay those same people, the the schools that weren't working, uh, the businesses they shut down, and and, obviously some some needed infrastructure. But these are bandages for a self-inflicted wound. We didn't need to do this. And uh, the the cynic in me, which is, I guess, all of me, (laughs) wonders why we can't borrow money the way that the feds are borrow it against the future so that uh, we can have have the money today. I, uh, Eric is so right. Um, there is no free lunch. This has to get paid back eventually. And it's going to hurt when it gets paid back. Uh, Krista, the, the cynic in you, as in all of us, is always welcome at the CIO table, whether it be remotely or in person. So uh, I get what you're talking about. Let's get to our next topic. The Colorado State House passed a gun storage bill this week that would require all firearms in the home to be safely stored and locked up. Republicans proposed 30 amendments to the bill, with 29 of them being rejected. Republican Representative Richard Holtorf warned that the passing of this bill might result in a rebellion. Uh, David, we've known for years that you're a nationally respected uh, Second Amendment uh, expert. You've argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, so I can understand where you're going to go here. But let me ask about if this bill gets... Uh, passed as it's written, do you think it's going to face legal challenges uh, from uh, the way it's composed? Well, it would be difficult because the Colorado Supreme Court last summer announced that it hates the right to arms in our state constitution and basically wrote it out of the constitution as long you know, as long as you don't ban all guns. Uh, the Colorado Supreme Court couldn't care less about the so-called right to arms actually in the text of the Colorado Constitution. Um, to be specific about this bill, what it, it does not require everybody to lock up their guns. What it uh, criminalizes is storing in a gun away that, quote, a juvenile can gain access to the firearm without the permission of the juvenile's parent or guardian. So it only becomes relevant if you allow other people's children in your home. Uh, as Representative uh, Holtoff, when he was uh, speaking, he said a lot of his constituents feel, 
and I think he was probably being accurate, he said, if this continues to go like this, there may be a breaking point. And he quite clearly was not, he said not about this bill in particular, but about the trend about this bill is just one part, a small part, uh, compared to the cascade that is uh, likely coming soon from Washington. So, you know, maybe a few years from now, there will be mandatory home inspections of your gun storage uh, and searches of your house to see if you've surrendered the guns uh, that you were supposed to uh, by, uh, by new gun bans. And historically, that is the kind of thing that does lead to rebellion. The uh, United States and Lexington and Concord in 1775, New England, King Philip's War in 1675, Tibet in 1955. It, it is really difficult to disarm people without their consent. Eric, the last time the Democrats made uh, were in charge of everything at the legislature and then made a lot of news overstepping politically that led to a variety of recall elections were over gun laws. Uh, do you think this is an example where there might be some overreach re- in, in getting a similar reaction? The reaction? Well, I think the Senate, you know, this passed through the House, very much party line, one Democrat joining the Republicans, but otherwise party line. Uh, the Senate may be a little more of a breaking mechanism or a tempering mechanism where there are a couple uh, Democratic senators who may look a little more askance at this. Uh, we shall see. As to David's uh, presentation, if that parade of horribles was ever to come about, I would certainly join David, uh, you know, if we're sort of tearing down home walls, looking for safe storage and looking for everything else, much less confiscation. But I think we're a long ways away from that. And I think there's a bit of hyperbole in it. Um, I think the idea of safe storage of making these weapons harder to access, whether accidentally or on purpose by children is a laudable goal. Devil's always in the details. And if the Senate wants to ramp back on on, on some of those uh, provisions to make them a little bit less onerous, no objection here. But I think we all need to be careful on the rhetoric, including uh, Representative Holtorf, uh, who David was quoting, um, particularly in the aftermath of January 6th. Anyone even inferring rebellion, I think we all ought to just be a little more careful that we all are vested together in this enterprise and let's tone down the words when possible. Chris, the Colorado is no stranger to disagreements politically over gun legislation, uh, but the whole idea of this expanding the rural-urban divide that is no stranger to the entire country, but especially here in Colorado, what do you make of those comments? I agree. I think it does expand that rural divide. I mean, as a, a rancher who keeps a, a rifle handy to uh, to you know spare his flock predation by coyotes, is he going to get in trouble because that rifle is just a little too handy? And here's the deal: my dad was a gun collector. He liked to con- uh, collect historic uh, older guns. He always kept them safely stored. Uh, when I was a kid, they were in a safe. And I believe in safe safe storage. But here's an interesting thing. In every house, there are dangerous items, items that can be misused for for violence or self-harm. And that's not just firearms. That's prescription drugs, power tools, cutlery, a baseball bat. And yet this legislation only targets one specific thing. And it, it seems a little arbitrary in that way. Why not expect parents to be good parents and to live with the outcome of that good parenting rather than have these kinds of mandates. When laws become a little arbitrary, they invite people to break them. Patty, the whole idea of safe storage of guns, I think, is something that 
most call rents would, would hope is an assumption, that if there are people with weapons of any kind, as Krista uh, makes a good point about other things that are dangerous in the home, that all of those things are handled responsibly. Uh, but what do you think about this particular legislation covering guns? Yeah, I have some throw rugs that are very dangerous. I've been falling over them for the last year. Here's the interesting thing about this proposal. If people want to rebel and not obey it and not follow it in their own... ...in the wrong way, and so we'll then know how they violated it. It seems like a pretty reasonable, as it currently exists, proposal. It's not taking away the guns. It's keeping kids safe, and I think that sounds smart. It's kind of like a seatbelt. You don't have to do it. You, If you get caught, it's a little easier. But in this case, you're only going to get caught because you should have locked up those guns because something's going to be tragic. Douglas County commissioners passed a resolution this week to petition the state to remove all COVID-19 restrictions and reopen not only the county but the state. Commissioners reasoned that cases have dropped enough to reopen businesses. Eric, we start with you on this one. I don't see Colorado following in the, in the line of Texas, Mississippi, and other states of just dropping everything. But Douglas County, I think, represents probably a growing amount of counties that are antsy to reopen. How do you think Governor Polis and the state government, government are going to react to uh, resolutions like this one? Yeah, we're talking about Douglas County, and we're not even mentioning Custer County down in South Central Colorado, the beautiful town of Westcliff, where the commissioners there basically just said uh, thanks, no thanks to the whole enterprise at this point. Uh, Jared Polis is never going to be confused with Governor Greg Abbott. He's going to take his time and be much more diligent and conscientious about the reopening. Uh, I, I flash back on a cartoon I saw a couple days ago, and obviously it's hard to describe a cartoon without the visual but it was a picture of a car with a whole bunch of kids in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the destination in front of the car was the reopening. And we all so desperately want to be at that destination. I feel it myself. I want to go back to restaurants. I, I, I want to get back to some kind of semblance of normal life. And I think we're close, but close is not there. And I think we do need to be diligent while, you know, as President Biden said last night, uh, most Americans get their vaccines by May 1st. That is not endlessly far away. So a little bit of further patience is probably in order, but I sure acknowledge that that patience is hard to come by. Krista, it seems that the heart of this is a capacity question because except for venues, many businesses are open. It's just a, a cap on certain capacities, 25%, 50%, the timing, things like that. Should we get into a little bit more of the nuance of capacity questions rather than just saying there is a, a magical finish line where we can just not have anything to do? Yeah, the capacity is an issue. Um, it's hard for restaurants to survive when they're at limited capacity. I say lift all the bans and good for Doug Co. If we look at the country nationwide, about half of the states, but not quite half, let's say about a dozen of the states have already lifted their restrictions. And I think it's time for Colorado to do the same. Uh, this morning in the Wall Street Journal, it talked about how the outcomes in Sweden, which had virtually no restrictions, are about the same as the outcomes in the rest of the European Union. So having these restrictions, I think they, they made people perhaps feel safe, but in terms of the effects on mortality, not much, not much of an effect there. So I say it's time to 
lift these restrictions. Um, if people don't want to go to restaurants or they want to continue to wear masks, they certainly would have that freedom to do so. But let's let everybody else get back to business. I myself, I've already had one vaccine. I've got one to go. And I tell you, after that second vaccine, um, I'm ready for life to return to normal. So, Patty, I think the whole idea of safe storage of guns is something that most Coloradans would want to assume their neighbors are doing and may or may not want a law that would mandate that. But when we talk about Chris's point about other dangerous things being in the home, it does expand the whole idea of personal responsibility versus around one item. When you look at this, uh, Bill, what do you think? Well, I have plenty of dangerous things in my home. I've got some throw rugs I've been tripping over for the last year. I have some mayonnaise that I know is really in trouble if anyone went in and looked at it. But what's interesting about this specific proposal, which I think is fairly well thought out, is we will never know if these people are rebelling and not following it unless the reason the bill was proposed in the first place proves sadly true, which is someone gets access to those, some kid, and there's a tragedy. So... If you do not obey this law, we will only find out for the very worst reason. Now, there's the flip side, which is someone might have, to, might have obeyed it, locked up their gun, and not been able to defend themselves. I guess we'd have to really look and see what percentage of firearm accidents there are as opposed to home invasion shootings. Douglas County commissioners passed a resolution this week to petition the state to remove all COVID-19 restrictions and reopen not only the county, but the entire state. Commissioners reason that cases have dropped enough to reopen businesses. Uh, Eric, we start with you on this one. I don't see Colorado following the lead of Texas or Mississippi and reopening the entire state, but I can understand that Douglas County represents a growing group of people in various counties that are antsy to reopen completely. Uh, how effective do you think this resolution will be to state leaders when it comes to reopening? I don't think uh, Jared Polis is ever going to be confused with Texas Governor uh, Greg Abbott, and I'm not sure that the Douglas County Commissioner resolution is going to be all that persuasive or influential, influential with Governor Polis. But that said, I do think of Douglas County, which has been sort of pushing over the course of the last year for greater liberties, greater opening, uh, fewer restrictions, shall we say. Uh, I do think in this case, they're speaking for a whole lot of people, but that question is whether they are speaking wisely. Uh, we are all eager to get back to our lives, to reopen, to go to restaurants. I think of this cartoon I saw this week, which is a destination out in front of a car saying reopening and everyone in the car, all the kids are saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the reality is we're not quite there yet, but per President Biden's speech last night, with the goal of May 1st for uh, for the vast majority of Americans to have vaccines. That day is coming soon, and I'm as impatient for it as anyone. Chris, it seems to me that the heart of this is a capacity question, because except for venues, many businesses are open, but it might be at limited capacities, 25 percent, 50 percent. It kind of varies. Do we need to get a, a, a better and more uh, incise decision-making ability when it comes to capacity, uh, or is it about simply reopening everything? You know, capacity is an issue. How these restaurants are surviving on limited capacity, I don't know. I think we need to reopen the whole state. Uh, about a dozen states have already done so, lifted mask restrictions, lifted other kinds of restrictions, and I think they're on the right track. It seems to me that 
the, a lot of these, these uh, restrictions were ill-thought in the first place. If we look at Sweden compared to the rest of the European, European Union, which I read in this morning's Wall Street Journal, Sweden's outcomes in terms of mortality, not any different than the rest of the European Union, including those states that have quite draconian, uh, draconian restrictions. So I think the time is now to open up. I just got my first shot. I got my second shot next week. Let's get everything open. Let's get back to normal. I think there's a lot of people who want to get back to normal. Patty, uh, this is the first time we've heard from Douglas County on something in regards to COVID-19 restrictions. How influential do you think their commissioners will be with their fellow commissioners across the state? Well, Douglas County has had the crankometer on high really since this started. Well, this summer they decided they didn't want to belong to Tri-County Health anymore because there had been a mandate coming out of Tri-County Health about masks and other issues. We still haven't seen the outcome of that. It may well be that Douglas County winds up setting up its own health department to take care of these things. But we haven't noticed a lot of other people following in that footstep, their footsteps, including the other people in Tri-County Health. It's interesting to watch who's rebelled, like Parker and Castle Rock have looked into doing this. Woodland Park decided to vote on Polis's mandates. And ironically, the vote was postponed and then tabled altogether because the mayor died of COVID. So we're at the point where things are reopening. Bars are staying open later. I'm sorry to say I know this personally. You know, they can stay open till one. Some can stay open till two. Things are coming back if people can just hold on. And I don't think a little more safety and social distancing is going to hurt. David, it feels like we're in that last 5% of the race and we have differences of opinion of where that finish line is. Was it 5% to go or was it 5% in front of us? Um, how uh, influential do you think Dallas County will be? Do we, will we hear from more uh, cities and counties about this issue? Well, the, the race is actually going to be like the real-life application of Zeno's paradox, where you always get one step closer to the half the distance to the goal line, but you never actually get there. Uh, people are going to try to keep this going forever. We're we're now a year into 15 days uh, to, to slow the spread, uh, to stop hospitals from being overwhelmed, and that worked. Uh, and We're not even close to hospitals being overwhelmed, and we're now up to 350 executive orders, uh, one-man rule, contrary to uh, the, the system of our Constitution. You know, Custer County voted two to one uh, to end their local restrictions, and they got. And two days later, Jill Hunsicker Ryan, who's the head of the Colorado Department of Health, uh, gave them exactly one day to say they would submit to moving levels in the dial. And then the county commissioners, after their two to one vote, voted three zero uh, to maintain their position. Douglas County's not going to at least use its own powers uh, to enforce against restaurants and other businesses. Uh, People have reached are well past the point of being exhausted with the arbitrariness of what's going on. Let's get to our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. There are true injustices around the world and in this country, and we've seen protests about a lot of them over the last year. The injustices do not seem that strong up in Boulder, where we had the party that turned into a throw pelt police with cans, with bottles, break car windshields. We understand everyone's getting a little antsy, but really the CU students and the Boulder residents, the Hill residents, could have held on a little longer. And it's a nice display of uh, 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 college-level education by filming everything. So there's no way there'll be any repercussions from that. Uh, David, your disgrace of the week. Here is how not to be a disgrace. 
if you have to drive this weekend, then have emergency supplies and your tools, because all the rescue crews are probably going to be pretty busy, and so you might have to wait a long time for someone to help you out. Eric, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Well, Patty took mine, and I agree with David's as well. Let me go. I, I was fortunate, along with my wife, we got our second vaccine uh, two days ago, and uh, 24 hours later was not a pretty picture. Uh, there, there is an after effect in some cases. I know everyone reacts differently. Uh, that said, there is a free-for-all atmosphere out there about vaccine sign-up, about who gets vaccines, about where, about having to drive halfway across the state in some instances. I know President Biden last night announced some website to make this easier. Where has that website been? Why is it so difficult in Colorado? We have a governor who made his money in software. This should be a much easier process than it is. Here, here on that, I keep, uh, I'm not eligible yet, but I keep wondering when I am, how, how in the heck am I going to find it? Uh, it's, it's an interesting question there, Eric. Chris, did we go to you for your disgrace of the week? I'm with Patty. The guys up on Boulder that were breaking people's stuff, you don't break people's things. You break the rules. Go without your mask. Meet with a whole bunch of friends in your apartment, but for Pete's sake, don't break other people's things. Break the rules, but respect private property. Come on. Chris, I think you make a good point. The first rule of beer pong is <laughs> to, to not destroy the, the, the ping pong table or to make a, a ruckus out of it later. Uh, let's get to say something nice about somebody. Patty. Well, and they can go out to Boulder Creek, too. I don't know if that's reopened yet. Um, I want to say something nice about all the people who, the businesses that have had such a tough time over the last year. You look at the restaurants that have really, and the restaurant workers who still aren't on the vaccination list until the, 30, the 21st, the priority list, but the people who've tried to really keep things together. It's great that the state put out a separate amount of money for them, that the feds look like they're doing it too, but it is going to take a really long time for this very robust, once robust part of Colorado's economy to come back. And then there's live music, which will the entertainment venues have suffered a lot, too. David. The college athletes, the coaches, and everybody else who brought back college sports last fall uh, against uh, the hysterics who, uh, who tried to shut it down. And now they've continued in, in, into th- through March. And we're going to have March Madness uh, starting in this upcoming week. And compared to how crazy the rest of the world has become, we might as well call it March Sanity. Here, here. Eric, you're say something nice. Well, first of all, Dominic, I have to say something nice about you. You got beer pong uh, into this show. That was impressive. And Krista has her cat into this show, which is also impressive. Uh, uh, more seriously, just I consider March 12th sort of to be the D-Day, at least in our household, a year ago when the world changed, when my wife's school shut down, went remote. Uh, when life as we know it changed. Uh, and for everyone who got through this last year, particularly doing your best to keep your sanity, uh, kudos and obviously tribute to all those who were lost during this last year. Well said, Eric. Appreciate the kind words. Beer pong is one of the toughest squares on CIO bingo to get, so <laughs> happy to help out tonight. Chris, if we go to you to first say something nice. Say something nice. You know, I'm going to give it to the Colorado Cattlemen's Association. They very cleverly decided to launch a meet-in after the governor decided to do a meet-out, a no-eating meet on March 20th. At the meet-in, you should go get a non-plant-based food alternative, a delicious steak or some bacon at a restaurant. So kudos to the Cattlemen's Association for pushing back. I uh, 
I don't eat meat with every meal, but when I do, it's because some politician has said that I shouldn't. Because after all, I would rather eat mutton than be a sheep. Uh, there is indeed, I think, room for everybody at the table. Uh, going to my local King Supers, they were out of vegetables, they were out of ground beef. So there, there's room for everybody. Vegan, meat eaters, everybody is welcome to the Colorado table. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for watching Colorado Inside Out tonight. For everybody here at PBS 12, thanks for uh, investing in PBS 12 during our March Pledge Drive. It ends this weekend, so if you want to support a show like this because you enjoy it, please do this weekend. Stay safe, stay home, mask or not, it's a nice place to be. Hope everyone has a wonderful weekend. Thanks again for watching. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Good night.